divisive issue contains language unsuitable for children and adults. And anyone who doesn't want spoilers for books, they're probably never going to read because they're probably not very good. Just, just don't listen. Just stop. Welcome to Divisive Issues, a comic book podcast where we talk about comic books and sometimes characters that aren't in comic books. Like right now, I'm Ryan. I'm Sly. I'm Phil. I'm Daryl. And we have a very special guest, our supreme overlord of the Comrade Network, Malcolm. Hey, guys. Hey. He told us we had to have him. We had no choice. Yeah. yeah. He um, just showed up and said, this is the law. I'm swinging by for your performance review, just to kind of see how you run things around here. Um, pretty good overall. Most of you are doing a great job. Um, Phil, if you could just hang back after we're done uh, and chat for a minute. Oh, you want, you want to talk about Geodude, right? That's, that's kind of that. Uh, not exactly, but we'll... we'll <laughs> Don't worry about that now. We'll get to it. We're going to talk about someone being grounded. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> okay. So today we're having a very special bonus episode where we're going to talk about characters. If you're a fan of our show, which probably otherwise, how are you listening to this? You have heard Sly and I, mostly Sly, get really mad at Phil and Daryl for judging characters. <laughs> so now we're going to all... Judging characters without knowing anything about them, just by their name alone. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, it, it's, okay, it's not okay to judge a guy who can just become an ant. Hey, uh, hey, like... hey, hey, <laughs> let's get through the intro before we start fighting. <laughs> okay. It's not looking good so far, guys. Yeah. Mm. So let's go out with a bang, I guess. <laughs> Phil, take your clothes off. <laughs> Our last episode. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about some characters that might be underappreciated, underrated, and then we're going to call each other idiots for our picks. <laughs> Can't wait. So I, I guess I'll go first, because I am Vice Supreme Leader here on Divisive Issues. <laughs> first, I want to pick a character that is pretty well known at this point, but I still feel like he doesn't get the credit he deserves. And I'm going to pick Green Arrow. Hmm. Mm. He has He's in season five of his own TV show, so he's not a nobody. But I'm going to focus more on, even though I'm a fan of Arrow, I think that the show is taking way too long to get to the comic Green Arrow that I love, which is the super soapboxy, obnoxious liberal who yells at everyone for having different political beliefs. And I just think it's awesome to have, because he's one of the first characters that has, like, a political leaning and, like, pushes it. So how do you guys feel about characters that, like, pushing politics because i feel like the shows and the movies have kind of held back and made them more lawful good characters that are just like everyone can root for instead of like the more polarizing elements they're more politically correct you might say yeah i guess they're more politically correct in like the movies and tv shows than having someone like be much like sly just start calling characters fascists all the time (laughs) well it's almost impossible to do properly there's a reason uh, the West Wing is the phenomena it is because it, all the characters are Democrats, but it still pitches a show that anyone can watch and will occasionally bring on smart people from opposing viewpoints to put them in their place from time to time. It has a, it has a bend, but it's not this runaway train of just patting itself on the back. Um, that's not very common. It's not easy to do. So uh, people disguise those messages with superhero examples or if you could just say uh crime in gotham versus crime in detroit it abstracts it you can kind of bend it a little and get it out of 
the stuff that's a little close to home. Um, but even so, it, man, it's it's still hard to do. I I don't know. I think it, uh, recently, or you know, a few years ago now, the newsroom tried to do the same thing where uh, it's a obviously it's a show that obviously has politi- a certain political leaning. And if our audience doesn't know, it's written and <clears throat> created by the same guy who made The West Wing, right? Aaron, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, right? Um, and I think it does a, it does a similarly good job in the sense that like. I the thing is it's hard when you agree with the show it's easy to be like well, this is a very you know anyone can watch this and enjoy it balanced oh it's so balanced yeah. Yeah. Will yeah. McAvoy is a Republican so it's yeah. fine yeah like I, I wonder though if if it's not actually turning off you know half the people who watch it so I think it, it you always run the risk of doing that but um, at the same it, time like one of the things with Green Arrow is he butts heads a lot with Green Lantern who's like a space cop and Hawkman who is also a space cop, and they're much more conservative characters, and I actually am a bigger Green Lantern fan than I am a Green Arrow fan, even though I disagree with him politically on a lot of things, because I find it interesting. Like, And you can do it without setting up a straw man, and I think that's the biggest problem, is Green Arrow has been set up as a liberal straw man when you want to make a conservative point. Like, look at... He doesn't think about how this actually works in the real world. Or vice versa... The villains are set up as conservative straw men. Yeah. But that that's like that's always gonna happen, even unintentionally, because usually when people disagree with someone, in their mind, they have a, a view of how those people believe. And when they're trying to explain why they're wrong, they're always not always, they're very likely to create a weird version of them that isn't doesn't accurately represent their views. Yeah. Well one thing one thing I hate about uh uh you can never really do it properly. Because in real life, no discussion ever gets settled like it does in fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like in, in fiction, somebody will make a, 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 a comment, a guy will make a retort, and basically he'll burn him so bad that guy will not make a reply. In real life, it never happens. No matter how decisively you're shut down by another argument, you'll keep arguing. And you eventually just start yelling over each other. Like a real life, uh, a, a real life discussion on the page would just be more bubbles covering each other for like uh, for like entire page until they finally just stop arguing and just decide to uh, stop talking to each other basically. Yeah, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a comic version of uh, Sly and Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> no, but really that that is true that people do change their minds later, not during not, not never during. Yeah, people true, like will argue and maybe down the line they'll be like, you know, maybe they'll change their views on it, maybe they they were right, but in the middle of an argument no one's ever like well, usually people are not like, well, you're right, actually. I was just wrong. Also, we're recording this before the uh, post-apocalyptic dystopia of the 2016 election. <laughs> so at this point, everything's so divided that I find that the news has just as many fake straw men set up as my Green Arrow comic books. So I guess it's kind of, like, realistic that it's not realistic. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. Ryan, I'm also curious uh, – I I don't even th- when I think Green Arrow, his politics don't even come to mind. All I just think of is boxing glove arrows and lockpick arrows and really contrived lockpick arrows. I love that that's a thing. Yeah, and it's it's really campy and specific and maybe a little uh, it's a little sixty six Batman of having an yeah. arrow for everything. So like I, I'd love to hear your take on that stuff as well. That part's also like. Part of the charm of it, because because he's such like a wisecracking, obnoxious, 
like 70s liberal guy when he does these campy things and he always makes like these not that conservatives can't crack wise but like he may he's so like obnoxiously self-aware that they even actually there is an episode of arrow where he wants to disarm somebody and he's in a gym and he puts a boxing glove on his arrow and shoots him in the face with sure (laughs) which is and that shows like dark as hell but it's just uh, it's one of those things that they the comics kind of only do tongue-in-cheek now his like the really silly arrows like he'll still have a net arrow and stuff yeah. like that but like the really campy ones like the boxing glove they they've kind of left behind in the last probably since like 1985 is when they stopped using it as like a regular trope. right well he also it just is robin hood <laughs> yeah and that, that, that lends a huge uh charm element Wh- whether or not you're up for that character on the page at that moment like he may yeah and that's why i liked when they leaned in more politically because like robin hood's a pretty political figure yeah yeah people don't think of it that way because he's just he's right in his own story yeah and but, that's like what if you I put him in a story the... where not everyone's the sheriff of nottingham it gets a little murkier so yeah, yeah. absolutely so I think I spent enough time talking about Green Arrow. What about you, Sly? Who's a character that you want to defend to the masses? Uh, so I'm going to talk about a very political and divisive character, uh, Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my my like, reason for liking him is more related to why I like obscure characters in general. If you, if you uh, read enough uh, comics, uh, you'll notice characters like Superman and Batman are usually very static throughout their careers because... If you change them too much, they stop being the iconic characters you know and love. Whereas more obscure characters like Ant-Man, uh, like now Ant-Man is probably, in my opinion, is probably going to be more less, uh, probably going to be a significantly less interesting character because now he's he's probably mainstream because of the movies, so he'll be allowed less room to grow. But I always liked Ant-Man because when he started his career, uh, he 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 was a contemporary of of like Captain America, uh, Iron Man, Thor, those characters. Uh, just to point out. The Ant-Man in the movie is the second Ant-Man. Yeah. You're primarily talking about the first one, right? Well, I'm, 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 uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll just clarify. I'm, st- I'm sorry with the first Hank one Pim. I'm talking about. Yeah, and Hank Pym's the older guy in yeah. the movie. Pimp particles. Very good. He was a contemporary to the um, characters that became like the A-list characters. And, uh, He's a what, founding member of the Avengers. Yeah, people forget that. Yeah, but uh, so he, like, he was screwed over in the movies. He wasn't a founding member of the movies either. But um, what happens uh, that I found interesting was... Uh, basically because he was always like insecure about his position as a hero uh, in the comics he went through a mental breakdown he hit his wife he created a, he was one to create ultra in the comics he basically went crazy and was kicked off the team for being a, a, a crazy guy and um, the thing the reason why the way, the way I got into the character myself uh, when I first started reading comics was his basically his path to redemption where he basically was planning to commit suicide and he eventually he gets talked out of it, and it's him slowly rebuilding his reputation, building his uh, career after uh, falling apart. He recognizes that he wasn't a really great superhero, and uh, it kind of took his uh, the fact that he's not respect- as respected as Thor or the other characters and made it part of his character. And that's that's why I like about Seal's uh, characters because you can't really do that with uh, the main characters. You have to make them forgivable to an extent uh, to a larger extent where they'll make a mistake but only interrupt the flow of one story it'll never be like uh, something that'll make them go years down the line where they're trying to uh, pay uh, you know fix all the mistakes they made in uh, trying to fix their lives I think there are some things that do that they have like a downward spiral for a while like you can look at something like 24 and like 
there are several seasons where Jack Bauer is like on a downward bent for the whole time. But since Jack Bauer is the main character, you there's a sure there's like assurance that he will come back next season and be ready to fight the terrorists again. Right. Whereas Ant Man will disappear for uh, several runs and come up in the most unexpected places, and you will be like, "Wow, he's here!" And uh, last time I saw him, wasn't he uh, a wife beater and a traitor to the team? But now he's like trying to be like, "No, I'm, like and you don't know where this is going to go necessarily." And there's also a level of dramatic tension that, like, if I'm reading a story about Superman having a crisis of conscience, I know he's not going to kill himself. Yeah. Ant Man could. He can't, can he? Yeah, he'll. He, Superman would kill himself the same way he shaves: heat vision in a mirror. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's the thing is Ant-Man, like, could kill himself and, like, it wouldn't – he doesn't even have a book at the time. Like, that's not going to ruin the Marvel Universe. And he was replaced already as the official Ant-Man role by another Ant-Man, the movie Ant-Man, Scott Lang, by that point. So it could have been just been like, oh, here's the passing of George. Old Ant-Man is crazy and he's dead and now new Ant-Man takes his place. And uh, new Ant-Man has the same thing uh, happened where in the comics uh, it looked like he died for a period of time and uh, his daughter – his daughter in movies took his place too and that's another thing you can't do anymore because uh, like now that Amazon A-lister they brought back uh, Scott Lang and now his daughter's back to being her daughter role she's no longer a superhero so that's what I mean by the characters now less interesting because in movies people watch the movies and now they say you have Scott Lang who's Ant-Man and you have his daughter who is a, a little girl I have to keep in that status quo now uh, I, can't I personally think his daughter Cassie's a better character than both Hank Pym and Scott Lang <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I mean like um, now uh, that's where uh, being obscure and becoming A-list is a bad thing in some ways. Yeah, and the now, audience isn't ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I totally get that because when Scott Lang, when the movie came out, they brought him back from the dead and gave him a book with his daughter, and I bought it for his daughter, and I read the first couple issues, and she's just his daughter in it. And I'm like, but she's she was on the Young Avengers. Like, I've followed her for years, and now she's just her daughter, his daughter. Her so daughter. I totally understand where you're coming from. Oh, yeah, that. she was in Young Avengers. That was cool. She was. <laughs> That's a good book. You know what's funny? As I think Malcolm actually knows more about comics than both Daryl and me. Do. <laughs> yeah, I do. You didn't know what you were signing up for today. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who these people are. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you, you get... Do you get where we're coming from, Phil? Like, when they're super yeah. obscure, you could do anything with them. I, I get that. Yeah, but, like, you know, Batman's not going to kill himself. And if he does, he's going to come back in a year. Yeah, which yeah. is what happened. And there is some, there is some like freedom in that, in terms of like writing that character. You can, you can really take a lot of like chances with it. And that's one of the reasons why we talked about doing this as a bonus episode because usually when someone first gets into the comics, like they start with like Batman or Spider Man, and they're still great characters. But most diehard comic fans, when you ask who are your favorite characters, they're gonna lean more towards like cre- like the Atom or like Ant Man, like these more obscure characters. Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle. Ah. I have the new issue of Blue Beetle sitting on my desk right now. I love Blue Beetle. <laughs> <laughs> and like because these the the characters are allowed to take so many more chances than like Iron Man is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. Uh, so now that you are criticizing my choice, Phil, uh, what about your choice? I was going to pick a comic book character, but you know what? Fuck you guys. Uh, <laughs> Gee, dude. <laughs> switching gears, uh, going to video games, which is more my speed. What um, a nerd. The yeah. main character of Final Fantasy X, Titus, or Titus. Oh. I'm going to call him Titus because that's what I always called him. Titus um, Andronicus. Yeah. Uh, this is the most natural plug for Square Roots we're ever going to get. <laughs> uh, everyone listen to Square Roots. They're playing FF10. I, do, they, do you know if they like Titus or not? Uh, it's I early. I think... Uh, I think. I, I mean, he, he grates on you right away, but I think they're also... Uh, 
a little sympathetic to like everyone around him kind of treating him like crap. <laughs> okay. And him losing his whole culture. <laughs> yeah. I, they've been getting into the stuff with his dad lately. It sounds kind of interesting to me. People, when this game came out, I swear, everyone hated this character. Yeah, I don't like him he, either. He like he he really grates on people like Malcolm saying because he is a kind of whiny guy and he's which a lot of people don't take into account. He's a teenager, right? He's a teenager who is like a pro. He's a spoiled t- uh, Brad teenager. Basically. Yeah, he's a he's a pro athlete whose entire basically world gets destroyed, and he wakes up somewhere he's never seen before, and that's where the story picks up. And, and he says his world is dead, and it's in the future now. Yeah, yeah. So they're like that place has been. There's the ruins of of your town of your city, but you know that, that place doesn't exist anymore. And for a lot of people, they they see him being whiny. And also, they see him being like overly cheerful a lot of the time. Where there's a very specific scene that people hate, where he's trying to get another character to cheer up. They they just talked about that. Yeah, on the yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. Yeah. But I think when I when I played that game, I kind of you know it's hard to not for me to not feel for him. Like you said, he has his whole world destroyed. He's a he is childish. He's a teenager, and I think there is something genuine about a character that's willing to. See to seem stupid to make someone else happy like the char- like people in real life do stuff like that they're yeah. like you know that it's people make funny jokes to try to cheer up their friends yeah but i think a lot of times people don't like a character when they expect them to be like a certain way like like not it, most people are not like hollywood characters at all actually no, they're not. but but when people play more genuine sometimes corny and sometimes whiny characters that are more real to me I like those characters more like Raiden in Metal Gear Solid 2. Like, people hate him. But he's, he's I think, a lot closer to what any of us would be than fucking Snake. Like, yeah. The way you're describing it, it actually reminds me a lot of the, like, arguments that I would get into after Episode 7 of Star Wars came out. Where I thought Kylo Ren was way more interesting than most Star Wars villains. Oh, absolutely. And everyone was like, no, he's so whiny. And I'm yeah. like, but there's so many reasons for it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, he's probably the best character in that uh, movie. <laughs> so what we're saying is Anakin's the best Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but he's like, not he's not relatable. <laughs> no, he's not. And he, he really could have been. Okay, guys, very, we can't just complain yeah, about okay. the prequels. Uh, All right, anyway. But you know what I mean? Like I feel like especially with male like protagonists or male antagonists, and I'm not crying fucking men's rights over here, but I'm saying like when you make a lot of male leads more like emotional everyone's like they're so whiny and pathetic when i like that a lot more phil i think i think i agree with you i i still don't like titus just because of all the little choices and like all the the whining about his dad and like the the lashing out and stuff to me he's one that works on paper where like just to have an audience surrogate that you have an emotional connection to right away because he lost his entire culture and he has to relearn everything from scratch and we learn it with him uh and then then you realize how he has to keep losing people. He has to figure out where he's at with his dad and all that. Um, so even by the end, you weren't on board with him? Even when he mans up in the story? I mean, because I feel like he he starts out like that, but he, he matures throughout the course of the game. And by the end, you I felt like he... He's the driving force by the end of the... Yeah, he stops whining and he's like, I, like, you know, you you we forge our own path kind of thing. Instead of being like, Oh man, it sucks so bad that everything's happening to me. Right, uh, kinda. Maybe it just like evens out a little bit for me. I, I never like love him, but I, I get again. I get the arc. Um, the fun, like that that story actually of ten is one that if I think about it independent, I can kind of like headcanon just a little 
uh, think about the bigger picture of it. And maybe like in the execution, a lot of the details are cheesy or there's some awkward moments uh, in the voice acting translation and all that. But like um, that's one I just like to kind of think on on a broad scale. The same way I interact with a lot of Star Wars stuff too, where um, like this stuff's really melodramatic and broad. But in my free time, I just love like thinking about how uh, how to trick the Empire into getting these clones and then taking them back. It's just it's fun to like uh, go down that road, if, even if the movie itself isn't quite nailing what they'd like to. I find that's common with a lot of polarizing characters that like in the macro or the micro, like one of them is really really great and the other one just like doesn't hit its mark. Mm. Sometimes. Have you played 10, Daryl? Yep. Did you like Titus? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Supreme Overlord? What you, what you got for us? Um, I've got a comic one as well. And uh, really underrated character. Uh, have you guys heard of Iron Man? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. <laughs> is he the Man of Steel? or, or... No, he's... no, that's Steel. Uh, he's... How is he underrated? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, totally kidding. Uh, my pick <laughs> oh, is... Yeah. I thought you were legit going to defend Iron Man. You're like, you know what Tony Stark is? The best character. <laughs> A lot of people don't know this, but he's like pretty good at inventing. Oh, uh, He's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, no, let me... I gotta nip this in the bud. Uh, my pick for my underrated is Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman. I can get into this. Yeah. I can't. Mm. I hate you. Um, now, I, I know you guys have covered this before, and I think I really agree with you for the most part. Uh, Fantastic Four is one of the hardest comic book franchises to sell to absolutely anybody. Barely works on film. Uh, really corny in a lot of their books. Um, there's just... The, the only conflict you get is just, like, pranks. <laughs> or the the some writers may really get into that marriage and maybe strain it with the work they're doing. But as we've said with Ant-Man and how actually abusive that gets, it's not, it's not really that bad in Fantastic Four. It's, it's one of the most tamest, most loving properties. I have a couple runs that I would say of disregard that. <laughs> Absolutely. But for, like, for a multi-decade like we can enjoy Fantastic Four but they're really hard to pitch I would say before 2003 I would agree with you right there's a couple runs here and there that stand out but they have been modernized in a way that a lot of people don't really know and I think that lends itself really well to your right. choice of it being underappreciated right um, I I don't really like the other three in the group as much I like them as uh, I like when they visit other comics so uh, when when Mr. Fantastic shows up in a different technology-based thing and starts, like, fixing their machine or consulting them or telling them how to, like, open a portal to a different dimension. And, and same thing with the others. Like, Johnny's pretty one-note, and Ben's fairly simple, too. It's like, oh, I'm a rock monster. Nobody that's loves why he's me. Gr- that's why he's great. He's just a rock monster. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're just asking Sly to declare clobbering time. <laughs> I know. Are you talking about Geodude or what? <laughs> but, um... I don't know. I don't mean. I, I guess I'm dumping on the rest of them too much. But for me, uh, there's a team of shit with this one. No, I, honestly, they're to me they're really a boring team. Uh, Sly's favorite is Ben, and mine is Reed. So go on. Oh, Malcolm, that's fun. Cool. Well, that's that's a whole nother day, I guess. But um, and, and Daryl's favorite is Doctor Doom, the, the fifth member of a team, according to the movies. Hey, there's five of us. <laughs> this whole podcast is going to sail into a storm. So I guess I guess Phil <laughs> is Johnny Storm, a loudmouth who I don't like very much. Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to light myself on fire. 
talk about Fantastic Four. But Sue Storm is my favorite wife and mother in comics out of any of them. I would second that. Uh, she absolutely covers that role and how hard it is to balance, I mean, like, <laughs> a career <laughs> and have a kid at the same yeah. time. I, granted, her career is, you know, crime fighting and, and science exploration, but... Um, other other characters have kids as part of their arc, but it doesn't matter as much in the same way that in a sitcom, when someone has a kid, the kid only shows up every, like, eight episodes, and then they swap the actor to somebody else. Yeah, like, the kids are only... The kids only matter when they matter for the plot. Right. Or for a joke. Yeah, or for a joke. But in the Fantastic Four, they're built into the franchise. Like, their kids are members of the team. Yeah. Um, I love how... Uh, I've I've read a lot of great stories where she had to really be like supportive and not that uh, yada yada not that women are always just like playing second fiddle and being supportive but um, I think she's absolutely like the backbone of the team the common sense uh, she keeps grounding things if Reed gets a little too distracted with his science uh, and then especially as their kids grow up her balancing that life it's just it's the best depiction I've ever seen and it's so incidental in pretty much every other comic. Um, What's interesting about them too, is Sue leaves the team a bunch of times. Like she quits throughout their history. Cause she just like, and no one misses her. Cause she sucks. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And like the, the franchise always falls apart when she's gone. Yeah. Like Reed falls apart to greatness. Because it's better. You can interrupt for good jokes, but that's, <laughs> if there's shit here, just leave it out. But, uh, you know, like, in the 70s, she quit for a long time, and it's the most boring Fantastic Four ever written. And, like, whenever she leaves, it just always, like, the whole family just feels, like, heartless. And that, I like, in a meta way, it's, you know, just the writers don't know how to write the team without her i guess but like it really does work in a franchise way as well that like she does keep the team together with her force fields presumably <laughs> yeah she's also the most powerful of them by a long shot like she's amazing yeah i mean there's <laughs> when they went on reed and sue went on a second honeymoon and they were attacked by the wizard and sue turned his chest invisible mm-hmm. and was like i could stop your heart in a second and i'll make you watch it if you don't get the fuck out of here yep like that's awesome yeah honeymoon <laughs> Famously knocked out Hulk yeah, in cool. Secret Wars. <laughs> Even though Sly hates Sue Storm, I guess, I agree that she is underappreciated. Like, yeah. honestly, like most female comic book characters, which is why I feel like an asshole that I only picked male characters. You fucking uh, sexist piece of shit. Just adding to the patriarchy around here. I know. We are the patriarchy. <laughs> is that, what is, is that the voice uh, that Batman. we use? That's, uh, yeah, I was being Batman, you know. <laughs> He's a patriarchal piece of shit. Didn't you? Didn't you listen to our uh, episode about where he won't marry that girl or whatever? Oh yeah. Okay, so are we going obscure now? Yeah. Yeah. Round two. Okay, so now we're going for characters no one has probably ever heard of. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one that's not like crazy obscure because he has been around in the modern era, but I'm gonna pick my favorite Golden Age character, and his name is Johnny Thunder, and that's pretty obscure. Yeah, it's pretty obscure, but he's not, like, some guy that's only been in eight issues ever. I actually don't know Johnny Thunder. Yes. So... You see? I see? I told yeah. you. So and he... I know a fair amount. I do. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you no, lie. Don't. You lie. <laughs> so, basically, he is a character from the 40s. He debuted in the same issue that The Flash and Hawkman did. 
characters of equal regard <laughs> as Johnny Thunder. <laughs> and basically picture like a short, like nerdy looking guy in a green blazer and a bow tie who has a magic pen that every time he clicks it and says magic words, a genie comes out and grants his wishes. Aladdin. Basically Aladdin, except he was in the original superhero team, the Justice Society of America. They were, like, comics were pretty straight-laced back then. Like, it was like, you know, everyone fights for justice and, like, you know, all that stuff that you think of when you think of really old comic books. And Johnny Thunder was a humor character. So he would go on these adventures with characters like the original Flash, original Green Lantern, and they would, his strips would always stand out to me as really, really funny, and it broke up the monotony so well, because, like, there would be, like, they would have to travel to, like, seven different corners of the globe, and Hawkman would have these giant birds take them places, and the birds would drop everyone off, but then for some reason they would drop Johnny upside down so he'd land on his head. (laughs) Or, like, in his first appearance, they... He learns that he can, that his genie will grant his wishes, but his genie takes everything incredibly literally. So like he gets seriously hurt. Monkey's paw situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, more like for a joke where like he gets really hurt and he says, somebody call me an ambulance. And so the genie makes a man appear and go, you're an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) Really stupid things like that. That's pretty good. Yeah. And it's just, it's really (laughs) funny. And it breaks up the like, fight the, the mafia mobster and like save the girl. And like, it stands out so much to me in the golden age. And then in the modern age, he developed Alzheimer's because all of those characters got really old and basically everyone else kind of viewed him as like a mascot and like they were like oh it's Johnny he's just a goofball and as his disease got worse and worse they kind of realized how much of like a how much heart he had because he was regressing to like younger and younger and it's one of the most tragic stories I've ever read and having like the goofball humor character become like a metaphor for how important staying optimistic is in the face of like really horrible, realistic tragedy is like, he stands out so much to me as like one of the greatest characters ever that like really hits me hard. (laughs) And like, I just, I love, that's what I love about comics is they take a character that didn't, he didn't, there was nothing serious about him. His whole, his whole chapter was always bad puns and like, the jerk, Steve Martin's the jerk level in, like, ridiculousness of things happening to him. But Mm -hmm. they play with that so well as the rest of the team, like, their superpowers keep them young and healthy, and his just mind deteriorates. And that's something that, you know, I've personally had to deal with, a lot of my family and friends have had to deal with, and, like, all the superpowers in the world can't make that any better. Yeah. And I love Johnny Thunder, and he's the greatest. And, uh, well, I mentioned uh, the the new hip version of Giant Thunder called Jakeem Thunder. Jakeem Thunder is also awesome. Because <laughs> uh, they had a character called, like, DC was like, we have a character called Thunder. He has a Thunder Genie. Obviously, he has to be a black guy now. <laughs> yeah. Any one of Russian powers has to be a black guy. Well, so Jakeem Thunder. Like that. One of the things with Jakeem Thunder, my favorite Johnny Thunder story is the reason why this whole thing culminates is because Johnny Th- ja- Jakeem Thunder meets Johnny and sees this disease and tries to use magic to fix it. And it doesn't mm. go the way it's supposed to. 
And, like, it becomes, like, a, you know, you have to accept things. And, like, it also gets, like, crazy with, like, a, a mind-controlling gorilla. But you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but, like, it's one of those things that it plays with the tropes of, like, it's a magical genie that, like, is just loves bad puns and, like, tells such a powerful story with it. And for me, the fact that he had been this character, this humor character who was only there for the punchline of a joke for, at that point, 50 years... It makes that so powerful for me, and that's that's my that cool. that's my pitch. <laughs> that's cool. I really went on that ride because I had to learn who the person was, hear it described. <laughs> that was a rough moment, and then <laughs> get the whole history, and like the whole time. And then I was like, okay, so how do you make that modern? And then you said so. You got you, <laughs> yeah. you covered it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it's just, it's wow. always interesting to me when these characters, like, he debuted at the same time as The Flash, and everybody knows The Flash. And, yeah. you know, Malcolm, you're a big comic book guy, and you have no idea who Johnny Thunder is. Nope. You know, and, like, <laughs> it's just, it's... I didn't know Johnny Thunder was really, I thought Joaquin Thunder was, like, the first variation. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, see, when I first read it. It's, it's <gasps> always funny to me, like, when you look back at old characters. Like, did you know DC, when they made Starman, thought he was going to be... Fill, he, they thought he was going to fill out the trinity of Batman, Superman, and Starman. Wow. Like, they marketed it as, like, this will be just as good as the other two, and obviously that didn't stick. <laughs> yeah. So what about you, Sly? All right, so my pick is going to be Mr. Sensitive. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, you can't use yourself as a character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Mr. Handsome Charming. Shut up. <laughs> but um, He's also called the Orphan. Yeah, Orphan Boy, I think. My, no, it's Orphan, you're right. Uh, but um, <laughs> Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> little Orphan Annie. Yeah, I love Little Orphan Annie, my favorite character. But um, Mr. Sensitive is from a, a book called Ecstatics. Uh, it's basically a team of... It's a, it was an X-Men spinoff where they I like, love that! Oh, you've read it? Uh, 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 bits. I know like that it was this team they made up out of nowhere, and it was really cynical, and they all die at the end. <laughs> it's yeah, awesome. So, so uh, basically... The, uh, People, you know, talk about Game of Thrones. Oh, it's so uh, everyone dies so often and so many, so many times. Nope. Well, Ecstatics, the first story arc is introduces a whole team of characters. Yeah, and they, they, he takes over the book X Force, and he's like, yeah. "Oh, brand new characters! Oh, look at all these great characters!" And then they all die at the end of the first issue. <laughs> and, all of them. and and like Malcolm said, most of them die by the end too. So like it's uh, and like the names, the characters are all purposely like goofy, like sixties kind of things. Uh, Mister Sensitive, for example. His power is a very, very, very sensitive skin that, like, uh, he can, f- like, he uses it in, in terms of assisting him because he can feel, uh, like, uh, the the wind coming from a blow before it hits him, so he's able to sense it beforehand. But, like, it's uh, it's a whole, like, struggle because when he first gets it, he, like, can't move. Yeah. It, like, it's painful because, like, his skin's so sensitive. It's so sensitive. So <laughs> sensitive that uh, it hurts just to feel anything. And Professor X makes him a suit to, like, uh, endure everyday life. And the reason why you bring this character up is because uh, the whole team was created to be like, hey, look at these fucking goofball names and goofball powers. One guy has the power to control a skateboard and he rides a skateboard. <laughs> And Phil will be like, this is stupid, fuck this book. But like, if you read that book... It sounds pretty stupid. It's really good. I I, I only read part of it, but... I challenge anyone to read it and not feel for at least one of the characters. Because when they they die, when they die, you feel for it. Uh, Mm. When I was first reading X-Men, I was like, I don't care about all these offshoot characters. Like, I just want to read, like, 
Days of Future Past, and then like that's enough X Men for me. And then Sly recommended Ecstatics, and my shop had it on sale, like the giant hardcover, the whole thing for like seventy percent off. So I was like, I'll see if Sly's an idiot, and I got it. And now uh, Sly's still an idiot, but this is yeah, good too. but it blew <laughs> win, me, win. it <laughs> blew me away because it looks dumb. Yeah, but like that's yeah. kind of the point, and it's like talks a lot about like celebrity culture. And like, oh, let's slice out. But it's great. <laughs> but it's like Ryan said, it's about uh, they're basically treated as celebrities, and they're kind of like obnoxious celebrity assholes. But like, that's like the humor behind it. And stuff like in like the boys. Uh, it's way better. Than the boys. <laughs> yeah, it is way better than the boys. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Nothing's better than the boys. It's no, it's no nemesis, but it's way better than the boys. Oh, that was my other pick, Nemesis. He's such an underrated character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's so smart. So that's, that's your pick, right? So, uh, yes, we, we just keep okay. yeah. <laughs> I'm again not going to do a comic because... Oh, no, hold on. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my cat just, like, jumped on the mic. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm going to... You know, like, when there's a character that, that sells the story by itself? Like, you don't need... Nemesis. Like, yes, like Nemesis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I was thinking of... From Harlan Ellison's short story, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, yes! turned into com- 1995 computer game, yes! I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, the main villain of that story is how you sell the whole game. And it's basically a, a computer named Am, stands for Allied Master Computer, and he's basically just a computer underground, which seems kind of boring, but all you have to do is hear his first speech of the game and you'll want to play it and experience him. So I'm going to read it to you guys. Oh, it's been a while since we've heard it. Uh, for the record, we had a poster of this that Phil would get really drunk and yell the speech out at like 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Whenever we had guests over, I would do it. Yep. So this is, how the, this is how the game opens up, too. This is like the first narration. And isn't it done by Harlan Ellison himself? Yes. Yeah, he voices, he voices Am, which is so fucking awesome. Uh, he starts out by saying, Hate, let me tell you how much I've come to hate you since I began to live. There are 387.44 million miles of printed circuits in wafer-thin layers that fill my complex. If the word hate was engraved on each nano-angstrom of those hundreds of miles, it would not equal one one-billionth of the hate I feel for humans at this micro-instant for you. Hate. Hate. And then you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and and basically this is just a, a, a supercomputer that becomes sentient, like we've seen a thousand times. But what makes him more interesting to me than any other... Uh, sentient AI villain that I've really seen is that he is completely insane and sadistic to the extent that all of humanity dies in nuclear war and he keeps like six humans alive which are like the main characters of the game just to torture them for in eternity. cages. Like, I've seen yeah. that image. Yeah. Uh, I, knew, I do know that. Yeah. He doesn't let them die so he just basically pumps them full of stuff that keeps them alive and he tortures them in their own specific way so they all have some kind of trauma from the past or psychosis and he creates these alternate realities where they are just having to basically like it prods at their at their problems and if ever they try and kill themselves he just pulls them out of it and he's just like i'm gonna keep torturing you and it's pretty great he's one of my favorite villains ever and yeah it's just he it's like sadistic and sometimes that can be too much in in fiction like when you have a, a villain that's just like i'm evil but the idea of this like computer that became sentient got all of basically learned all of human knowledge at once 
and was... If I recall, the reason he went mad, too, is because he cannot self-terminate. So he's stuck living forever just like the humans are. Yep. He says, like, he can't escape this, like, the rock that he's in. Because he's literally built into the, like, the the, the uh, substrata of the whatever, underground. And he basically just is going to, like, spend the rest of eternity torturing these people. Hmm. So it... That's, like... That's how you sell that whole game and story is just by telling people about Am. And if you're not interested in that, that's the that's the game. So you know. And the story whatever. itself is way shorter, and it's it's really yes. interesting seeing an adaptation go so much bigger with it while still under the pen of the original creator, mm-hmm. and by and still keeping true to the, the same themes. Yeah. in most cases. Yeah, you never you whenever an AI in these stories gets the full human knowledge. All they do is just decide that it's better for the planet if we stop polluting yeah. and killing each other, and it's it's like super calculated. Like all the all the famous AI what if situations that we've calculated are we're gonna make something to just staple pages together, and it's gonna run out of staples and then kill everybody, just keep, <laughs> build build factories to make more staples, and this one like little tool will wipe the Earth out, and it's quest just to finish this mission <laughs> yeah but like having yeah. something actually uh selectively torturing i've never heard of that at all because it's so unrobot. uh unless you're talking about return of the jedi when they put that guy upside down and put coals to his feet oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean so after i beat that game i did i ordered online like i took screenshots of the game ordered two posters online and just hung them up in our in our common room and i was just like i'm just gonna read these sometimes <laughs> Sometimes, awesome. like, all the time. It was awesome. It was all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of... I really miss that genre, because the point-and-click adventure games, I feel like you could do a lot more character work, because mm-hmm. it's not as... Like, Malcolm was talking about earlier... It might have been before the record, so... If so, fuck you, listeners. But <laughs> how, like, with video games, a lot of times the characters have to be more blank slate so that you, the player, can relate to them no matter what they do. But I feel like in point and click, it's much more like kind of a Sims-type scenario where you're guiding an existing character. Mm. If you've ever played, like, a visual novel or read a yeah. visual novel, yep. it reminds me of that a lot where it's it's a game in in the way that you interact with it, but really it is a it is a story that you're mostly consuming you know what I mean? Like you're 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 along for the story, the ride, but uh, it's not like you're like how am I gonna um, you know beat this boss? Well, sometimes you are, but it's like how it's like you're solving a puzzle. It's that's one like genre that I've never even like done anything with. Like I've never even seen one. I should really give one. A it's shot. it's only if you it, you have to kind of like anime for it. it like I mean, I kind of like anime. I watched Case Closed in high school. There's it's mostly made from. Japan, and that's kind of yeah. a bummer that you don't have more uh, westernized people or Western people trying to create fiction in a kind of choose your own ending type of uh, yeah. scenario. Yeah. So, Malcolm, who you got for us? Another comic one. Yes. Uh, I I I fully it was fully possible when we started this today that someone would say Aquaman. Uh, a lot of people just. Like, yeah, he, he keeps calling a bunch of fish to his aid, and we get it, and <laughs> on land he's boring and whatever. Um, I don't like Aquaman, but my <laughs> Just pick... wanted to come in here and tell Aquaman to fuck off. Malcolm out. <laughs> fuck you, Sly. <laughs> fuck me. Sly likes Aquaman. But my pick today is Marvel's Aquaman, Namor. Who? Mm. Oh, d- wait. Daryl, are you the one? Daryl hates Namor. He said he's the ugliest man to ever yeah, live. Yeah, I'm the one that thinks he's a super ugly man. I don't know why Sue likes him. 
She doesn't like... Uh, wait, you, you mean like you don't even know why there's like a hint of a love triangle there, or... Oh, it's pretty explicit. Sue, we read an issue where Sue's like, I'm torn between Reed and Namor. Well, Reed's... Well, I don't get why Sue likes Reed. Reed's a dick. But Reed's, Reed's pretty smart. Namor's also the ugliest man to ever have lived. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah Daryl swears that he's the ugliest man. <laughs> that's weird. Like, he, like his, his original Inception has like a really square, like, tra- like trapezoidal head. <laughs> yes triangle it's a straight up triangle but he's been redone many more times like if if everyone was stuck with their original <laughs> like cover i mean like batman <laughs> come on guys <laughs> okay. well, i want to do this one a little bit differently i want daryl to tell me why namor sucks and then i want malcolm to defend him <laughs> i'm up for that i didn't i didn't think he sucks well okay i, th- I think it's the weirdest thing is, at least for me, it's like, what separates him a lot from Aquaman other than being morally gray? Or is that the thing that makes him interesting? Yeah, the morally gray. That's is, pretty much the thing. Cause, uh, and Namor, the arrogance. Namor has been, like, like in recent comics, like, Namor has been, like, declared, like, a fucking terrorist, basically. Uh, yeah, like, like literally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people have to hunt him down and stuff. Like, it's like Aquaman taking it to the extreme, because... Aquaman like fucks up the like he like I guess angry at the Earth people, but Namor's like fuck you, I'm gonna kill your and drown your cities and stuff. Like I that. would say the difference is Aquaman feels at end like feels like an outsider because of his like timidness that he doesn't belong for the most part, whereas Namor is an outsider because he's so arrogant that he views himself better than humanity. He's always he's constantly doing us or them thinking and like segregating above ocean and below ocean people and who's inferior and who's not. Um, I I, kind of liken why I like one and why I don't like the other to what Game of Thrones hit on and what everyone loves about it in that all the best characters in that show are the really shady, manipulative ones that make alliances, that backstab. Like the really noble, super nice king guys will be gullible in that show. Uh, you're. I just want to give you a warning, Malcolm. You're on. You're walking a tightrope here. As I know, I'm on, I'm on the edge of my seat. My my earbuds are almost out of my ears right now. <laughs> no spoilers. We're all really big fans of the book and not really big fans of the show. That's fine. That's fine. But so be careful. Yourself. <laughs> what they both what they both hit on is that the the goody two shoes characters that show mercy get screwed over, I mean, and yeah, the true. really noble guys. Uh, can't build alliances because they can't get their hands dirty. And then the Lannisters will be the most interesting characters to follow because they get stuff done no matter what it takes. Namor, to me, is what a ruler of an entire amazing underwater city would be like, would have an amazing sense of superiority, would uh, genuinely uh, be really guarded about humans and their destructive nature about the planet. I mean, we've seen a lot of sci-fi stories that you know, your avatar and whatever that talk about like a, a, they make up a sci-fi culture and then they're in danger from our pollution or deforestation or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So he has that to guard against. Um, but, and then just throw in a little, just good old old fashioned arrogance anyway, that has nothing to do with his position, but just like, that's his personality. He's just a dick. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's fair though. Like uh, I, it, I, I bet you that most Kings were obviously let that, that, position get to their head in general like 
you're not going to have like these noble, humble kings of, of like all over the place. Like if you really, or you can even argue that you need that to be good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Being I a king. would say that if you think that you're good enough to rule people, you have to be an arrogant piece of shit. Yeah. Well, uh, Namor was raised like you are a special prince. You're gonna rule everything. Well, like, Aquaman was like a slave in his own kingdom for like a long. Are you saying Are you saying Aquaman wouldn't flood everyone? Because I'm pretty sure we read a thing where he did kill everyone <laughs> because he got dumped by Wonder Woman or whatever. That was that was different though. Was that a thing? That uh, was Flashpoint. Oh yeah, you're right. Was it? Oh yeah. Uh he wouldn't flood and destroy humanity. I like pretending I was okay, there for that. A, oh yeah. Okay, to, to put it this way, uh, Aquaman's dark reimagining in an alternate universe is Namor's regular universe. Yeah, he has flooded <laughs> okay. whole countries because he didn't like them. Yeah. Okay. The, the really enticing what if for Aquaman is just standard business for Namor, and I love it. I mean, in the forties. Like, Aquaman, I mean, Namor had his own book and was a hero that people followed, and he flooded Manhattan. That's a thing yeah. that he did in The Human Torch, issue 5B, because there were two issue 5s. Thanks, that made it easy to track down. And would that be the original, like, the Android Human Torch yes, we're talking about? Yes, the Android Aha. Human Torch. I another oh, fuck comics so hard. <laughs> Jesus. Androids are so dumb, naturally. You can never make a good Android story. <laughs> we didn't say that. He also flooded a country in, like, 2013, so... Or maybe it was like yeah. 2010, whenever AVX was. Spoilers. Spoilers for AVX. Yeah, whatever. Basically, he's my favorite jerk in comics. And I love that if he's going to show up, you just know you're in for a hassle. Your characters are really going to have to explain their motives. They're going to have to clear everything with this guy. They're going to have to reason with him. They're probably going to – maybe they'll battle him. They may need him on their team later and they have to do some negotiating. But it – it just guarantees interesting stories every time he joins in. If you like the idea of a real piece of shit Namor, just like being an asshole to everybody, Jonathan Hickman's New Avengers is like, it's just Namor is an asshole for like 30 issues. <laughs> and the whole book is amazing. But like, that's the most shitty he'll ever be. <laughs> that's cool. Right. I, I, I can get into that. I think AVX might be worse. Uh, well, AVX is what leads into his run. Hickman... Like, Hickman set up that idea as the beginning of his run. Oh, okay. So. I have a question for Ryan and Sly. Yes. Why do you guys suck do so much? Do you guys like Namor more than Aquaman? Or? I like Aquaman better. I like Aquaman better as a character, but hmm. I've read a lot more good Namor than I have good Aquaman. Hmm. Like, when I read a good Aquaman story, I, like, like him more, but there is I have a lot more Namor on my bookshelf, you know? The reason why I like Aquaman uh, 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 better is because Namor, like we've, we've basically been alluded to, he's been basically the same character since the 40s. He's still this asshole who will flood your city. Whereas <laughs> Aquaman started out as basically the goofy, like, I'm, I can talk to fish guy. And basically every writer is like, I'm going to make Aquaman badass. So uh, he basically went to a cave, went crazy for a few years, grew a beard, got his hands <laughs> eaten by piranhas. He went through all this crazy shit. <laughs> oh my God, Sly, I'm seeing a pattern. Every pro- Everyone I like has to have a, a downward spiral where they lose their hands, their wife, and <laughs> no, their like, sanity. I, but like, then you get growth that way. Where, where Country you know. music, am I right, guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas Namor, I can, uh, people, like, I can see why he's, he can be more consistently good because he's been the same character since the 40s, whereas Aquaman has been through so much shit that I find yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, cool. I, I think we, we actually avoided doing it too much today, but... What can happen in a lot of these situations is you just fall in the trap of some characters are super easy to write no matter what because there's built-in quirks and other ones you have to work harder at and there's they build a history. So Aquaman yeah. on his surface, if I just sat down to write an Aquaman story, I wouldn't do a good job. 
But if you look at his whole history in that arc, there's more richness in there. Yeah, yeah. Nimoy could write like pretty easily. Just make him an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually I was gonna the last thing I wanted to bring up because I feel like we're rounding out to the end. But the the thing that I was debating whether to bring up this character on this episode, but you brought it up, Malcolm. And I want to briefly talk about Superman <laughs> because he's, he's pretty Superman's underrated. a special case. Cause here's the thing. Superman is, I think the greatest fictional character ever created. You're wrong. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> but I will admit that out of every comic book character I ha- that exists, pretty sure Superman has the most shitty stories. Right. Like it is, he's a character that I absolutely love and he's, he means so much to me, but it is so hard to get, to get him right. For, for purposes of today, I would, he's complicated. I would argue that you have to get to the point of realizing he's overrated and then have him be underrated. So you have to realize that every moron has the S on the back of their pickup truck or on their shirt or their hat. (laughs) And you have to realize how not good most of his movies are. Hey, Superman 1 and 2 are awesome. Sure. You have to hit hit that oversaturation and just like, yeah, he's perfect, whatever. He can do no wrong. He's invulnerable. You got to hit that point and then you back it up and start getting into the really good stories. You give him the better conflicts. You have him like struggle with his I humanity. Think I, I think I understand where you're coming from for sure. It's, it's more complicated because he's, he's not underrated. He's on every kid's birthday cake across the country. Like most kids don't think he's lame. But you have to like you have to be a little world weary to be like yeah whatever he can fly he's perfect and then walk it back to like actually get into the humanity of him and realize he's he's infinitely more complex than just can fly can do no wrong yeah. it's yeah it's a journey for sure I went on the same same thing I think that <laughs> that that really sums it up where he's both super overrated and underrated <laughs> yeah like for different facets of him but that's definitely really interesting and I don't think I have to say anything more on that. <laughs> We did it together. Yes. <laughs> Teamwork. So anything anyone else wants to add? I have I have one more honorable mention, uh, and I, I, I think it qualifies less than my other picks, but uh, my favorite Marvel character is still Cyclops. I yeah. actually really debated he, bringing up Cyclops. He's trying to suck up the slide. That's what's going on here. <laughs> no, it, it, it's always – he's always my favorite. And, like, it, it in one sense, in the same way you pick your sports team just based on the color and it imprints on you, and then you have to go back and explain why after. <laughs> I just like Cyclops because I liked him, but then I when I – He shoots lasers out of his eyes. That's fucking cool. Right. Like, <laughs> Super cool for a kid, right? Um, but then when you get into him and, like, he's another sort of, like, famous jerk in comics, uh, yeah. really prickly – but then the more X-Men you read consistently, he has so much pressure on his shoulders. Uh, if it's written better, Professor X doesn't even quite appreciate him enough or is asking too much of him. Um, it's just, especially with how rich the X-Men stories are with the so- outside social pressure, he's both running a combat team and running PR for the planet at the same time. Yeah. And it's it's so much weight on his shoulders that... It's amazing that he can still do the job, um, and I just love him. Especially like his run in Ultimates or Ultimate X Men was one of the coolest things. I like. I think I really he's like Ultimate Cyclops. Fantastic, but it's it, not quite as underrated. X Men is fantastic, not the Ultimate. <laughs> fantastic X Men, that a thing? Uh, probably. Maybe probably. 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 M- maybe not as underrated as everybody else because he he's super handsome in the movie and whatever, but. 
like he's clearly there to be made. Just of... being handsome doesn't make the movie's portrayal of Cyclops. Cool. If you're attractive, you are a great character. Just like Colossus is attractive, but handsome. <laughs> but he's he's too. clearly in the movie to be sort of belittled by Wolverine, and yes. like that is. But that is also his job. Still, he's still doing it properly in the movie. But that's like the one aspect of his personality when there's more. But yeah, the, the yeah. way I always. Uh, explain why Cyclops is cool is I use Warren Ellis, the writer of Ruins and the great work. <laughs> I, I use his quote. He, he, he called uh, Cyclops basically, he compared to, the, he said, he, to me, he's like the Batman. He's a guy raised, uh, was an orphan uh, from a young age uh, by Professor X to basically be the leader of the world's first search, uh, search and rescue squad. And uh, that's always I view him. Cause, like, Just like Batman, the leader of the mutant search and rescue squad. <laughs> no, but like, but like all the qualities people say make Cyclops a shitty character are basically what Batman uh, has. And Batman's considered All cool. the time, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it's it, people, yeah, you're absolutely right. But Batman has the loner aspect of Wolverine. But so does Cyclops. Cyclops is always like, the reason why Cyclops always has uh, telepaths as girlfriends is because they're the only ones that can shit. <laughs> they're the only ones that can shit? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> they're, the ones, they're the only ones that can pass his emotional barriers. Uh, and Because uh, he's always afraid to talk about what he really feels. So that's Yeah, that is cool. Best. That's amazing. Okay, are we done? <laughs> I'm done okay. with this bullshit. Can I do a recommendation? Yeah. Is, or are we going too long? No. I, I, uh, you could do a recommendation. I don't think we're going to do one. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I, I think I have a good one that like kind of... The one I was thinking of um, speaks to this entire concept we're talking about of like really celebrating and get digging into these back characters. Marvel did a fantastic series called Exiles. I love that book because it's really good, uh, and the the concept is is really simple. It's one of those just slap together things as an excuse to play with whatever characters you want. It's really simple. These controlling forces make a team of six Marvel superheroes. And keep sending them on these missions and different timelines and different universes so they can go to the, the planet where everyone's a vampire and Captain America's the king vampire. Or they could go to a planet where uh, all the heroes got gathered up and fight in an arena. Or It's basically an excuse just to play with every what if. Or they may go and be president at the trial, president at the trial of the Phoenix, that big moment. Or they may go to a planet just full of every Wolverine copy. The kid one, the female one, the zombie one. It's it's just a playground of that kind of just celebrating Marvel's history. Uh, but then it gives you the excuse to really dig into some of these side characters. Yeah, to bring it back to what Sly was saying, they're all totally like... Alternate universe versions of like Z-list characters. <laughs> They're either, yeah, they're either, and the lineup changes because if, if a character dies or retires, that a new guy just gets teleported in as a replacement and they have no say in it. They just have to blindly follow these missions. But yeah, uh, you get the, like a fictional uh, version that's Nightcrawler's daughter. You get a, I think it's a gender swapped rogue. There's a female Namor. Which is, like I was saying, a really great character embodying that. There's a lot of great gender swaps. Like, the female Sunfire is amazing. Uh, gender swapping is my fetish. It's <laughs> for me. <laughs> but it's, it's, really a, it's really amazing. It, it lets you play around in whatever world they want at the time. What if everyone was a blank? But then also, you really grow to love the characters as a group. And then when one gets, like, torn away, and they just get a new person forced on them... 
that may be utterly taken over the team or ruin the dynamic. At one point, they meet a different group of six that's been hopping around as well, and that one has, like, been conquering every world they go to. And they're like, wait, you you did that? Like <laughs> The whole book is basically like, hey, if you have a strong cast of characters, you can tell any story and it'll be enjoyable. Yeah. And t- to me, it's just, it's the love letter to the Marvel canon, and they're not afraid to bring up any dumb, weird character and just love on them. <laughs> well, uh, Malcolm, I know we mentioned that you're the supreme leader, but if people want to hear more of you and your opinions, where should they go? Uh, I'll tell them where they can put it. Oh, wait, what did you ask? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, of course, uh, everything I do in all our shows, as you guys know, is on ComradeRadio.com. That's where I do the Comrade Radio Network show. Two of you guys have been on already. Every other week, I have a host from the network on, and we talk about, really briefly, about what the shows are up to, and then we just chat about whatever the guest wants to, something they're really into. Ryan and Daryl did really great uh, episodes um, so far. So that's every other week, and that's just a great way to get to know the other shows in a really express, you know, nice manageable fashion. And then my other main show is APOC Radio, where my friend Justin and I pretend to be apocalypse survivors that put on a radio show and talk about movies and hope to find other people out there. It's super silly. Sometimes we do sketches or big, like, world-changing events. It's really fun. I can attest it is fun. Thank you. (laughs) It is fun. I have enjoyed myself. (laughs) What gun to my head? What do you mean? So that wraps up our bonus episode. This is probably our first bonus episode. So if you want more bonus episodes... Or if you want Ryan to keep saying bonus episodes, fuck. yeah, bonus episodes, <laughs> yeah. but let us know device issues at gmail.com, Twitter, Facebook, and the comrade radio Facebook group. Hey, I'm there all the time. Yeah, me too. Tell me how I did. Do you want me back? New permanent member? Whatever. <laughs> let us know. <laughs> I thought you were asking us right now. And I was like, I don't know what to no, say. No, I'm not talking. No, I'm, I'm executive overriding you guys. This is yeah. to the people. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pretend to be Phil because his recording stopped working. I started recording. Okay. Again, I don't know. It's probably, it's probably too late. <laughs> well, I guess Sly, Sly can always stick this in in the end. Yeah, Sly always, always takes yeah. Phil and sticks him in. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he always sticks me in the end. So uh, thank you guys for listening to Divisive Issues. Sure. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Malcolm, for listening to us talk. I've never done a podcast. For real, though, thank you, Malcolm, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Oh, my, my pleasure. I, I really love your show, guys. That makes one of us. Yeah. It's nice to publicly say on your feed, though, that uh, I'm glad to have you guys on the network. You, you're a really great addition. You, you really have rounded our group out really nicely. As nice as that is, we're really trying to wrap this up, Malcolm. Could you, could you stop? <laughs> uh, uh, Why don't you right, and everyone uh, else who feels the same way take those opinions to iTunes and write us the five Take those opinions and shove it up your ass. <laughs> shove it up your iTunes. Okay. <laughs> shove it up your iTunes. Okay. Guys, the rails, they're way over there, and we're here. Oh, what geez. do we do? Okay, so thank you guys for listening. I have been but ugly Namor. I've been Mr. Sensitive. <laughs> I've been the world's best rock ground type. <laughs> I've been Superman's logo on a redneck's truck. And I've been Stilt Man. <laughs> Stay in continuity. Comrade Radio. Dot com. Independent podcasting network.